0: There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was na- was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, Between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Pray with me. Father, teach us to number our days and count every blessing. For there are distractions in this life that keep us from what's important. We long for paradise. And we long for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I welcome all of
1: you that are here in person or listening online or via the podcast. We're in a series I've titled, "Mist," And I chose that title to call attention to the consistent witness of Scripture regarding the brevity of life. That every metaphor in the Bible referring to the lifespan of a man or woman emphasizes briefness, mist, shadow, grass, vapor, dust. You're going to have three things on your tombstone. One will be a date, acknowledging when you arrived and you had nothing to do with that date. At the other side will be a date acknowledging when you departed and you probably will have little to do with that but in between there will be a dash and you will have a lot to say about how that dash gets spent but remember that dash is short so Jesus told two stories reminding us that the dash is short and comes before we expect it often. We saw one of those stories last time, and we're going to look at another one today. And I'm just going to tell you up front, this is a sobering sermon. Because Jesus is making a sobering point. And sometimes, you need to do that. Well, we could go last Friday, I got this picture of Pope Francis. He was addressing a... Memorial service for families who had loved ones who had been victims of the mafia. And as their names were read, the Pope got up to address, to offer words of comfort. But then he did something no one expected. He spoke to those who weren't there. He spoke to the mafia. And the Pope said, please, Change your lives. Stop doing evil. There is still time to avoid ending up in hell. That is what is waiting for you. If you continue on this path. Needless to say. It got very quiet. But if you're going to speak for God, there are times when you have to say things that are shocking, stunning, sobering, and even potentially offensive. And no one did that more than Jesus. And I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we forget Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. And in the story that we just heard, Jesus implies three things we would do well to remember about what's going to happen right after our dash ends. First, we're going to be awake and aware. Second, we are either going to be filled with tremendous gratitude. Or enormous regret. And third, we are going to be able to reflect on our dash with stunning clarity. The truth that our lives are missed should make us all the more diligent to see those eternity. Shaping opportunities that must not be missed. And so Jesus starts this story. There was a rich man. That's the first thing we know. He was wealthy. And Jesus does not say that as a criticism. But to recognize that he faced a very great challenge. Now please know that the Bible says it is a wonderful thing when a man or woman who was under the reign of God has a lot of money. It is a wonderful thing for a person who is surrendered to God to have abundant resources. Remember, Abraham was one of the richest men in the Bible. But wealth does afford the opportunity. To trivialize and minimize the impact of your dash. And so Jesus is constantly warning us. Don't let cash waste your dash. Because he knew that material prosperity has great capacity. To produce spiritual poverty. Now. Remember that Jesus spoke into a culture that had certain religious assumptions. And one of the dominant ones was this. That prosperity proved piety. That in their culture they believed if you had a lot of wealth. That was proof that you had the favor of God. It's not that different from some of the preaching you hear on TV today. And into that culture, Jesus spoke words that completely reversed that paradigm. For example, in Luke chapter 6, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, nobody preached that sermon. And even more radical than that sermon was this sermon in Luke 18. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. See, he lived in a culture that said that race and privilege stamped your get into heaven card. That if you were Jewish and you were rich, then there was nothing between you and God. And Jesus said just the opposite. He said, in fact, our stuff can create a huge gulf to cross. That our abundance can actually make it harder for us to reach God now here's the thing death is the great equalizer it doesn't matter whether you have a lot or a little you're going to die but Jesus makes it clear there will not be equality in eternity I want you to hear that one man in this life was licked by dogs but the other man in the next life was licked by flames One man in this life begged for crumbs. But the other man in the next life begged for a drop of water. One man in this life was kept out by a gate. But in the next life, the other man was kept out by a gulf. And remember, just like the last story. Jesus does not say anything about this man being unethical in business, immoral in his lifestyle. The problem wasn't what he made. The problem was what he missed. For example, he missed the opportunity to invest his treasure. He knew he had a beggar at the gate, Because he knew his name. But here's what happens. When you have an abundance of wealth. You are afforded the means. To not get distracted. By the unpleasant reality. That there's a lot of suffering in the world. You have the means to change the channel. And to get your mind preoccupied. With something else. For example. Several years ago they did a. Television special on the life of Mother Teresa. And they just followed her through what one of her days were like as she ministered to some of the most uh, oppressed people in the world. But what was interesting is how the special was uh, interspersed with commercials. So you start off hearing Mother Teresa talk about ministering to lepers. Followed by a commercial telling you that bikinis are now on sale. And then you hear Mother Teresa talking about her work with those who are starving. Followed by a commercial. On where you can go to get designer jeans. Mother Teresa talking about the agonizing poverty she ministers in. Followed by a commercial on fur coats. Her work with abandoned babies. Followed by a commercial on where to go get a good ice cream sundae. And finally... Her work among the dying, followed by a commercial on where to go to get a nice diamond watch. And what happens for people like us who have the means to get our minds off of the suffering of the world is that we become distant. A gulf grows between us. And what God wants us to see. Now please understand that Lazarus' poverty wasn't the rich man's fault. But it was his opportunity. That God had given blessings to him so that God could give blessings through him. But the rich man damned his dash. Because the rich man became a dam. Have you ever seen a stock pond out in the country? And the water flows in from a creek or a stream. And at the other end is a spillway to let the water flow out. Why? If that spillway gets blocked and the water can't exit. The algae and the bacteria grow. And the water gets dirty and unsafe. Because God has wired his creation that to stay pure What flows in has to flow out. And the heart gets polluted. That hoards instead of helps. And so Jesus wasn't too interested in the barn building business. But he was very bullish on investing in the kingdom of God. Most of you have done some level of retirement planning. Jesus counseled expirement planning. What have you done during your dash with your treasure that's going to matter eternally? In fact, in the exact same chapter, he told a story about an unjust steward. And here's the point, verse 9. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up treasure. As a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Don't feel bad that you have blessings. Jesus is not expecting you to take a vow of poverty. He is expecting you to take a vow of generosity because life is brief. So opportunities to invest well must not be missed. But the rich man couldn't see that because, well, he had a gate. In his eye. And so he missed. The opportunity to welcome. A neighbor. I have been to many third world countries. And here's what I've learned. In the third world. The surest sign. That a family has wealth. Is this. Their house. Will have. A gate. And what's the purpose of a gate. It is to keep. People out. But gates do something else. They keep people in. And his gate kept the rich man isolated and disconnected from the place where his dash could have had a real impact. Now, I think Jesus' first hearers... Saw in this story something we might miss. Because in the Bible, the request for food was always more than an ask for groceries. Because in the Bible, when someone was hungry, you didn't just drive by, roll down a window and toss a hamburger. You invited them to your table. So in the Bible, food always represents fellowship. When Lazarus is begging for crumbs, he's begging for community let me in is what he's asking see the early church got this one of the very first things we know about the early church is that they believed in generosity and community look at Acts chapter 2 with me all the believers were together had everything in common They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So what happened is Jesus is raising up this people that just don't think about themselves. Do you have a need? You hungry? Come on over to my house. We got food on the table. But the rich man did not see Lazarus as a potential neighbor. He saw him as a constant nuisance. And so instead of using his money to buy an extra chair for his table, he bought a stronger lock for his gate. And here's the irony. In the next life, they both got what they both valued most in this life. Lazarus got eternal community. A place at the table with Abraham and the rich man. Got isolation. Forever. And yet even the flames didn't warm his heart toward his neighbor. Hey! Send Lazarus down here. He still doesn't see Lazarus as an equal. He sees him as a servant that ought to be sent to take care of what he needs. See the problem isn't just that the rich man is in hell. Hell is still in the rich man. Maybe that's why... We don't know his name. We know the name of the beggar. But this story is about a nameless man who just gets described. Because somehow he missed the opportunity to become what he was created to be. Don't read this story and say it's about how Lazarus needed the rich man. No, this story is about how the rich man needed Lazarus. He needed Lazarus to become all he was gifted and entrusted and created to be. Now, you know I like sports. I get most of my illustrations from ESPN. So here's one. You recognize this man if you like NBA. Yao Ming played for the Houston Rockets. He was an all-star, had to retire because of back trouble. But what really made him famous was he was the first great athlete in an American sport from China. And he was asked... Why, with all the great athletes in your huge nation, do you not produce more great uh, participants in team sports? He had the most interesting answer. He said, it is our one-child policy. We don't grow up with brothers and sisters. And so we never learn to share. And sharing forms character. God has wired it into the fabric of what it means to be fully human. To live your life blessing other people. And the rich man missed the opportunity to become a better man. Because he shut out his fellow man. And apparently, his whole family did Apparently all his brothers did. Even though they owned very expensive Bibles. They missed the opportunity to listen to Scripture. The way the story ends is so powerful. Not what you would expect. After he tries to order Lazarus. He tries to order Abraham, now, side point, when you get to the other side, do not boss the big A. That is a bad way to start your eternity, okay? Warn my brothers. And Abraham says, don't your brothers own Bibles? Don't they have Moses and the prophets? Your brothers have been warned. Because in this Bible is the unmistakably clear word that God's heart beats for the poor and for the oppressed and for the marginalized. In this Bible are over 2,000 verses where God speaks about the poor. And about justice. That's why they put Lazarus at the rich man's gate. Because they knew that he had a Bible. And he was supposed to know what was in it. His Bible was filled with verses like Proverbs 22.9. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. They knew that He had the means to make the Word become flesh. This Bible totally rejects the thought that all I own is for me. The assumption that it's all for my consumption. Nowhere in this Bible... Does it say that you are a blessed person because you are so entitled to it? We live in a land that says we work hard. Let me tell you, there are hundreds of millions of people in the world today. that are going to work hard from the time the sun comes up till it goes down. And still don't know if they can put food on the table for their children. You do not have what you have because you're entitled to it. You have what you have because you have been entrusted. Because God said, if I give them an abundance, I can trust that they know my Bible and will use their abundance for the things dear to my heart. Scripture is constantly telling me to love God By loving my brother. And to live any other way is just the waste of a good dash. Martin Luther King, a month before he was killed, was preaching at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. And he said these words. If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day. That Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. Here's the point of this whole series. I want you... To live your life in such a way that if you find out you don't have much longer to live, you won't have to change the way you're living right now. And that's why we have to just keep coming back to the example of Jesus. There's this powerful verse in 2 Corinthians. That you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You know what that verse is saying? Jesus didn't stay on the other side of the gate. He didn't just come out the gate. He took the place of Lazarus. And became poor. I'm reminded of a video I saw. By a man named Steve Schreibner. Steve was a pilot for American Airlines. Now he was a Christian. But he, in his own words he said I was a someday saint. And so one day he saw a flight needing a co-pilot from Boston to Los Angeles. So he signed in to fly it. It was just 30 minutes before the assignment was uh, certified. And then something happened that he said has only happened three times in 20 years. A more senior officer signed up for the flight after him and he didn't get on flight 11 from Boston. Scheduled to go to Los Angeles. But instead flown into the World Trade Center. And he lives to this day, every day, with the memory that someone died in the place he was supposed to be. And that ought to change the way you number your days. Listen to his own words.
2: 20 years ago, I wrote a life objective, and my life objective goes like this. It's to seek, trust, and glorify God through humble service and continual prayer to raise up qualified disciples as quickly as possible so that someday I might hear God say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. The events of September 11th took that life objective that I already had and it intensified it for me. The fire just keeps getting hotter as I get older. But someday I want to stand in the Lord's presence and I want him to say, well done. What has stuck with me all these years is the fact that he did leave me behind is that I need to act like I'm living on borrowed time because I am. I can look and see my smoking hole, and it was on national TV. And I saw where I should have died, but I didn't. And now there's an obligation that comes with that. I've got to live my days with a sense of urgency. I have to make sure I get the most out of them, not the most for me. That's, I think we, we live in a world where everybody's kind of out to get the most for them. This is not about me. This is about the distinct privilege I've been given to know that somebody died in my place. What I know is that somebody died in my place not once, but twice. You see, God sent his own son to die for my sins. Jesus Christ was the other one who died in my place, and he hung, and he bled, and he suffered on a cross to pay a price for me, that I wasn't qualified to pay. I couldn't have hung on the cross. I didn't have the same qualifications. So one guy sat in a seat that I should have sat in. The other hung and bled on the cross. One is far more significant than the other. That's not to trivialize what happened to Tom. It's to elevate um, and glorify what God did for me and for mankind on the cross.
1: I'm not going to pretend it's easy to keep all this in perspective. We live in a culture that bombards us with propaganda that disagrees with everything you've heard the last 30 minutes. And I need help. And that's where the cross blesses me. The cross can help us get our stuff together. So that stuff doesn't create a gulf between me and God. But it becomes a way for me to help others find God. The cross reminds us that we're all needy. We are all Lazarus. None of us is entitled to the grace of God. Jesus Christ has invited us to his table, and every one of us are beggars, and so we're going to come to the table. And the only reason we can come is because Jesus didn't stay behind the gate, but He took your place. So when you take that bread and you take that cup, but you do two things: would you just take a moment and say, "Thank you, Jesus." For making a way for me to come to the table. and would you pray maybe one more thing. And would you show me Jesus. Someone. That I need to invite to come with me. So. Father. In the powerful name of Jesus. We thank you for making a way. We thank you for coming. We thank you For. Tearing down the gate that stood between us and you. We thank you for the unfathomable thought that somehow you would become poor so that we could be rich. And so, maybe in a fresh and new way this morning, help us spend a few moments at the table with new stuff to think about. In Jesus' name, amen.